maybe I was in a trance or something, but I don't know if Mary Lou said that conference is here, right here, <laughs> right here, right now. I mean, you know, I'm not one of the anointed speakers in that conference, but I do get the privilege of opening the conference. So uh, be here on time for my anointed two minutes at the very beginning on Friday. Okay, let's uh, stand. I'm going to say those two dreaded words, the words you hate to hear from a teacher, pop quiz. Okay, did you just feel it all come? The, uh, we're in a series called Ecclesia. Ecclesia is the most commonly used Greek term in the New Testament for the gathering of believers. The church comes from two Greek words. The first Greek word is kaleo, which means, this is the pop quiz part. Great, good, we're doing okay. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a hint. It sounds like called out. Yes, called out, good. Kaleo means to call. Okay, so uh, an ek is the Greek word that means out from ek. All right, so uh, ekklesia are the is the gathering of people who have been called out. Jesus has called us as believers out of the world into a new family. That's the church. We're the called out ones. We're not called out so that we have no impact in or on. We're called out because we've been identified as the, the beloved of God, become a part of the family of God, and we're called out and given special purpose in the world as the ambassadors of Jesus. So uh, we're, uh, I used the title Ecclesia for this sermon series about community because a part of what happens when we're called out is we get a new family. We're called out of the world, out of sin, out of darkness, out of hell, into this thing called the church, the family of God. It's not just the individual church, it's the church worldwide, of which we right here, the vineyard, are a part of. I've shared this probably a hundred or so times, <laughs> but I'll, I'll give it to you again because it, it's, uh, it's just the, the image of what I want to do this morning. Sort of my, my uh, basic call from God came to me in a vision that I saw I was in a sanctuary, and it was a large sanctuary, and there were a bunch of people in seats kind of in a, in a V like this with a throne in the middle of the sanctuary. And I wasn't in the front of the sanctuary. I wasn't in the back. I was just somewhere in the middle. And I saw Jesus on the throne. Don't, don't ask me how I knew if it was Jesus. I just, you know how you just know it's Jesus. And Jesus said to me, as clearly as I can understand a voice from God speaking to me, <clears throat> If you'll point them to me, I can lead them, roughly. That's my translation. So I feel like as a pastor for the last 17 years here, my job has been and will continue to be to point people to Jesus. Because I think if I can point people to Jesus, he is very capable of leading, loving, healing, guiding, etc. That, that's my job. Sometimes that's the easiest job in the world. Other times it's different than that. So this morning, I want to do my job, and I want to point us to Jesus. So I titled the message, Jesus at the Center, because that, that constitutes a good definition of the called out ones in community with one another, not just in relation with one another, but everything in the context of Jesus at the Center. So what that means practically is in our worship, Jesus is at the center. 
in our community, we see one another in and through Jesus. And when we look to the world, we look at the world through Jesus. It's, it's, it's never Jesus sending us out on our own to the world to deal with the world and then come back beat up so he can heal us. It's always Jesus going with us and us looking at the world through Jesus himself. That's a part of his incarnation in us, the body of Christ. So what does that mean for Jesus to be at the center of all we do as a community? First and foremost, it means that Jesus is at the center of our worship. That when we gather, and you can picture it physically, spatially, intellectually, however you want. When we gather in the name of Jesus, he's right in the midst of us. Now, he's in you as a believer, but he's in the midst of us as a community of believers. It's why we spend so much time at the vineyard singing to Jesus. I've got a couple of verses I'll read. They're not up on the screen, but uh, things are coming on the screen, I promise. But Philippians 2, 9 to 11. Therefore, and uh, Michelle made reference to this, not knowing probably where I was headed today, but God knowing. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, that is Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We come in and we worship God. We come into the presence of God, the presence of God's children, and we lift up the name of Jesus. He's right at the center. Our worship is never and will never be primarily about perfection in music, how we feel, lights, fog machines. I have nothing against fog machines. I just want to say that. I was in a gathering of pastors this last week, a bunch of pastors from the city. We were just talking, and the people were comparing their fog machines. <laughs> I, it, it was fun. These are people who love Jesus, all right? And it's a part of it. So I got nothing against fog machines. But it will never be about that. It will always be about us walking in. John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, uh, talked about worship as freely giving our love to Jesus. It's an uncomplicated definition of worship. Wherever we are, he is there, and we can freely give our love to him. And that's what our worship is about. We gather around Jesus in our worship. (coughs) Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. This is the writer to the Hebrews saying, you know, let's get on with it. We got we got the cloud of witnesses who've gone before us in faith, some in martyrdom, now in glory. We've got people around us in the church. Let's get on with it. Let's put sin aside and go after God. And just, you know, run the race with perseverance. And then it's like he realizes, oh, I better tell him how to do it. (laughs) Because it's not as easy as it sounds. And so he says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So our worship when we gather in our lives together, our walking out our faith, our expression of faith, it's, it's all about Jesus. It's fixing our eyes on him. I love the way Mike Bickle from uh, House of Prayer in Kansas City says, we become what we behold. 
We, we behold Jesus. We fix our eyes on him. We gaze upon him and we become like him. That's the activity of God in the life of the believer is that as we look to him, we become like him. I'm going to read a longer passage here from Colossians, and I actually read this a few weeks ago. I'll make a couple of comments. This should be up on the screen from Colossians 1. This is the Apostle Paul basically going into an apoplectic vision, I think, in the midst of his letter writing. He's like, okay, I want to tell him about Jesus, and he just goes berserk. That's a Holy Spirit berserk, okay? Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. It's like Paul says right off the bat, you want to know what God looks like, it's Jesus. He could stop there, but Paul never does. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything. As I read through this, listen to the superlatives. Superlative, the maximizing words, the big ones, the all or nothing words that Paul uses. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. That's why we worship him. He's supreme. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Everything you see, can imagine, think of, have ever seen, will ever see, can ever know was created by and through Jesus. That's where he stands in the realm of eternity. Supreme. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Just insert yourself there. I was created through him and for him. Each of you can say that. I, personally, no matter how I might feel about myself today, no matter what other people say about me, no matter what's on social media about me, no matter, I was made by him and through him. Jesus is very intimately knowledgeable of this person that we walk around in because we were made through him and we were made for him. He existed before anything else and uh, he holds all creation together. You know, you ever walk around your life, you think, man, I just got to get it together. I just got to get it together. Am I the only one? <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever say this prayer without, without ever thinking God would do it? God, if you would just stop the world for like 10 minutes, I could get this figured out. Come on, somebody, give me some. All right, right? It's all the control freaks. And that's, uh, you know. God, I could do this if you just give me a few minutes. And the response of Jesus to that, probably with a smile on his face, is, I hold all things together. You don't have to worry about it. Doesn't mean there aren't hardships. Doesn't mean there aren't mysteries and confusions. But the reality is that Jesus holds all things together. He's the head of the church, which is his body. We say that as a staff at the vineyard every single week. Every time we go into a staff meeting, we start with a prayer and we say, Jesus, you are the head of the church. Lead us. So that we can just remember who's at the center of all of this and who this is all about and where the power comes from and where the glory goes. So we don't get confused about that. That is not to say we don't sometimes get confused about that. But the goal is, Jesus, we remind you what you said. You're the head of all the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. 
So he's first in everything. You know where I'm headed with this, right? You know what the Greek word for everything means? Exactly. He is first in everything. I was just, you know, worshiping here with the rest of you, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm worshiping, and I'm also thinking, oh, i got to get up and talk. I hope I do okay. I'm just like you, right? And I just heard the Lord say, I'm either sovereign over everything or I'm sovereign over no thing. Well, that's good. God is either sovereign, that, is, that means perfectly, powerfully, knowledgeable, and interacting with everything, or he's sovereign over no thing. So you got that one thing or those ten things or that list of things in your life. You think, I know, God, you're doing a good job over here, but what about this? I want to I tell you, this is a hard word maybe, God's sovereign over that. It doesn't mean that he just wants you to suffer. That's not the point. But he has invited you into cooperation in that place in your life in a mysterious way that you may not be able to understand. And your emotions or your thought process about God's work, what he's allowing in your life, have no impact on his sovereignty. What does have impact on the effect of his sovereignty is the way we relate to God. We can either say, God, you're not doing a good job, I'm taking over. Or we can say, God, you're sovereign, and I know you're here in the midst of this somewhere. Just open my eyes so I can see Jesus is here somewhere. I wonder where I was. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. If there was any question about what the Bible says about the deity of Jesus, for God in all his fullness completely was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you. Yay, we got in on it. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he's reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. Is there more? As a result, he has brought you into his presence. What a gift. We were aliens. Some of us still feel like that, right? We were aliens, and God said, no, I'm drawing you near because you were made in my image, and now I'm going to form you into the image of my son, Jesus. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Lori gave such a great message two weeks ago about seeing uh, life and people through the lens of family. I'd recommend you you listen to it. It Two weeks ago, just go on the website. And, and she did such a great job of communicating this is how we see ourselves. The way we see ourselves as children of God has impact on the way we see other people, right? Well, this is how Jesus sees you if you're in Christ. You've asked Jesus to come in, forgive your sin, and you're walking with him as good or bad as you might think you're doing. This is God's view of you. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. For the perfectionists among us, that's really good news. Without a single fault. That's God's view of you because he sees Jesus. 
It doesn't mean that we don't have faults in the flesh. But God's view of us is our eternal destiny, not our temporal situation. He sees us as we truly are and will be forever. We're just kind of in the flesh here, sort of on the way. Because none of us could come up and say, I stand apart from Jesus without a single fault. That would call lightning down. So the question is, is Jesus sufficient for your life? Is he sufficient for your salvation, your healing, your redemption, your direction, your protection, your growth, your maturity, your death, your resurrection, your eternal life or not? Jesus is either all sufficient or he's not sufficient at all. And I just think we've got to, we've got to wrestle with that reality when our emotions and our heart and our intellect and maybe some people around us start saying other things about who we are. We remember we're in Christ, and then this is how God sees us. And, and he's either all sufficient or he's not sufficient at all. God's either sovereign over all things or he's sovereign over no thing. And so... Jesus is at the center of our worship, which is a whole life deal for the people that belong to God. Secondly, and it flows from the first, is that Jesus is at the center of our community, our horizontal relationships. I keep threatening the media people to to quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I've got quotes in my notes for like the last five weeks. I've never actually shown them. I I said to Ed earlier, I don't know if we can take it. Because it's, it'll come eventually. But, it, but bon, when Bonhoeffer talks about community, he says, you know, let's not mess with this pipe dream of we're all going to love each other. We are connected to one another in and through Jesus alone. Yeah, love is an act of the will. Sometimes there's some fluffy good feelings too. But love that happens in the, in the brethren among the church is because of, in, through, and empowered by Jesus and Jesus alone. Let me read 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21. This is Paul saying, here's now how you ought to see one another in the community. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way. Paul's saying we used, we used to see Jesus as a man, right? Well, he's a human. But we don't see him that any longer. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. All this is from Jesus. We don't look at each other in the body in the same way we used to. Jacqueline, I was going to point to Shodman, but he doesn't want to hear about sin. (laughs) When I look at Jacqueline, I know she's imperfect, right? But I don't look at her and focus on imperfections according to what the Bible says. I don't look at her as just a human anymore. Now, I'm not saying Jacqueline is God, though she's really close to the guy. <laughs> she hears from him, right? No. But, but Jacqueline is in Christ, and therefore Christ is in Jacqueline. And in our relationship, though we have ups and downs, we have conflicts, Can you believe that? Two people on staff in a church. We have conflicts. We disappoint one another. We correct one another. We rebuke one another. We encourage one another. 
because we don't see one another as just there's another human. No, this is a woman for whom Jesus died, in whom Jesus lives. So I don't look at her like just a a normal human. She's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that change the way you think about the person you're sitting next to or looking at or the person that God just placed in your mind when I said that? Because we see one another in and through Jesus. We see them as new. Sometimes we have to remind them. (laughs) David, I just want to remind you, you're new. What you just did, that was old. More likely that David would come to me and say that. Randy, you're new. And the way you just acted, that was old. I'm not going to treat you according to your old. I'm going to treat you according to your new. Now, love, correction, rebuke, all that. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, it says in Proverbs but all with the goal of restoring in one another the image of Jesus. Oh, I know who you are. You're you're one of the called out ones. You and I share Christ. And that's what we'll focus on in our relationship. We see one another through through the lens of Jesus. Listen to the last part of 2 Corinthians 5. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Do you ever just skip right over that part when you're reading 2 Corinthians? See, we see one another through Christ and therefore we treat one another like Christ, which means we do not hold one another's sins against them. I mean, Paul just goes after it. He says, forgive. Jesus just goes after it. Forgive as you've been forgiven. Remember Jesus on the cross? Forgive them, Father. They don't have a clue what they're doing. If we looked at one another through Jesus, then we would not count one another's sins against them. It doesn't mean that there isn't the need for loving confrontation and boundaries. I'm for all that. But remember... We don't get to hold anybody's sin against them. A a person's forgiveness, our our ability and willingness to forgive another person who sinned against us is um, is not contingent upon them owning that. Forgiveness comes from what Jesus did, not what they do. Right? Does that make sense? Is anyone angry? I am. Because sometimes I want vengeance. And Jesus said, no, that's not the way we do it. We don't hold sins against one another because I died for that. We forgive as we've been forgiven. And Jesus reaches the world through us. He he gave us the gift of reconciliation and then he gave us the message of reconciliation. We're ambassadors for Jesus. So just a couple of concluding thoughts. With Jesus at the center of our worship and Jesus in the midst of how we look at one another in community, it means that we'll always be looking for Jesus in every situation. Are you in a conflict with another human right now? Don't raise your hand. Where is Jesus? That's a good question. That's a healthy prayer. Jesus, where are you? Jane and I, married 32 years, occasionally have a conflict. One every 10 years or 10 minutes. And you know what we're, we've learned to do? after Jesus, what are you doing here? 
Not who's right and who's wrong. Jesus, where are you in this? What are you doing here? Because if Jesus is at the center of all things, you know, life will get a little out of balance when we move him out of the center or we make ourselves the center, right? But if we'll put him back in position and we'll orient ourselves around him, all of a sudden we can see clearly, oh, Jesus is here. I'm a bonehead. It doesn't always end up like that. 98% of the time. So we're always looking for Jesus. What are you doing? What are you saying? What do you want to do through me? And we're always positioning ourselves regarding Jesus. Jesus is either the center of our lives and our walk with God and our worship and our relationships, or he's not. He's not kind of the center. He's either center or he's not. There's really no in-between. The relationships around Jesus can change, but our goal as the called out ones is to keep him in the center of it and begin our prayer, our time together with Jesus and, and end our time together with Jesus and focus upon what it is that he's doing. And so we'll be able to acknowledge Christ in one another. I've, I've said it a couple times in the last few months because I'm reading about Benedictines. The Benedictines started in the 6th century. They will bow to one another when they're coming into worship because they're reverencing the Christ within one another. They're not worshiping one another, but they're recognizing, Shadman, Jesus is in you. Shadman's a great example because he's Iranian, and the Persians will tend to bow anyway, won't they? Because they have this sense of there's, a div- there's something divine here. It's not the person, but it's the person of Jesus within, and we say, wow, this is amazing to be in the presence of Christ within you. And that's why the Benedictines have gone so far in the world caring for the poor and the sick and the needy and the outcast because they can look at them and just like Jesus said, you know, when you did all that stuff to the poor and to the least, you did that to me. And they've just taken that seriously. What if we took that seriously? We looked around and we said, wow, Jesus present in all these. How can I serve today? Lynn, do you want to come forward? Um, before Lynn plays for the ministry time, which she does most Sundays, um, I'm going to ask her to share something that she shared with me when we met this morning. I hadn't told her what I was going to talk about, but she said, I just had this great revelation yesterday, and I thought it would, it would help us. So go ahead. Um, yeah, it goes perfectly in line um, with kind of what Randy was saying. Um, I went for a walk yesterday just for my morning workout because it wasn't 5,000 degrees out, and I was walking, and I've been in conflict with somebody, and so I was just kind of thinking through just the struggles of that and how frustrating it was, and just, I don't know if you guys do that when you walk and just kind of talking with God, and and he asked me, which he normally does when he's working with me, he deals with me through questions, um, probably because he knows I'm a thinker, so once he puts that question out there, I'll grab onto it and just really work it out with him, which is a beautiful way that he and I work together. And so I'm, I'm just thinking about, you know, my situation. And God said, um, what would you do if he were Jesus? And I thought theologically about that. And I thought, well, I don't, okay, that's got to be like a wrong direction for me to be thinking. And then he stuck, he stuck with that. And he said, what if you were talking to Jesus? 
like, what if that person is actually Jesus? And like I said, I had to wrestle out the theology of that because I'm like, oh, no, that just doesn't even seem right. But he, he kept pulling that thread, and he said, would you send that email that you sent if you were sending it to Jesus? Would you send that text that you sent if you were actually sending that to Jesus? Would you say the things that you said if you were actually sending that to Jesus? And I thought, well, okay, that totally puts it in a different light. Because if I take this person that you get, or anybody that you get frustrated with, if you were actually sending that to Jesus, would you do that? Would you say those words that you said? Would you ask the questions that you asked if you were actually interacting face-to-face with Jesus? So I thought that was interesting, and fortunately that was the beginning of the walk, so we had a long time to work through this whole thing. And I love analogies, so normally God will get me involved in questioning and thinking, and then he'll give me an analogy. So I thought, this will be good. What analogy could you possibly give me that's going to help me kind of walk through this whole concept? This makes no sense. He said, a turtle. And I'm like, a turtle? What, how would a turtle compare to this whole thing? And he said, when you approach somebody, you want to encourage the Jesus out of them because Jesus is in them. And they're like a turtle. And they're going to pull in their shell. And how can you encourage the Jesus out of the person? The Jesus in you wants to communicate to the Jesus in them. And so those two want to have that connection. How can you pull that Jesus so the little head comes out, the little arms? And I know nothing about turtles. Like, Vonda, you can study the turtle stuff for me. Because I'm like, I don't know how they all travel. I don't know how the whole turtle thing works. But I thought that's a really interesting concept. I mean, just, okay, this is weird, but just look around. Like, if this is just a whole big group of turtles, how, (laughs) I don't think, are they herds? I don't even know what they call them. Um, (laughs) A herd of of turtles. A herd of turtles. That's probably, take that off the tape. Um, (laughs) No, but how are we pulling Jesus? And I thought, then God took it into, I know, I got to wrap this up. God (laughs) took it into a bigger context, really, of the church. Is the church moving at all? Or have we all kind of pulled into our shells and we're not pulling the Jesus out of each other so that we're moving? And then I just had like, you know how you can see them all running to the ocean sometimes. They've all come out and they're all moving. So I thought, what a great idea, what a great practical way for us to look at as a church body. How are we encouraging Jesus out of each other? Are we seeing the Jesus and and talking to that so that the head comes out, that the legs come out, so they're healthy and moving? And as I was walking, it was in a pretty nice neighborhood, and God said, look at the houses. And I'm looking, and they're very nice houses. And he goes, this tells you nothing about what's inside. And I just thought that's the same thing with with the turtle, with the shell. We see that shell But where is Jesus in them? How can you encourage them out, encourage Jesus out to come out of them? And and so, you know, I'm getting all amped up now as I'm walking, and I I didn't finish this part. But I was so, like, this was such a new, maybe most people have thought this all their lives. It was a new revelation for me. And so I'm smiling, and I started to say hi to people. And it was just, I thought, is that is that pulling Jesus out? I mean, just some simple little things like that. People from across the street all of a sudden were waving at me. I'm like, this is really amazing to me. Like, I don't think I've done 
anything different at that point. But I just thought, how can we start to move as a church body, not just, you know, one-on-one, yeah, when you have issues with people, approaching them like you're talking to Jesus. But then as a congregation, how can we pull the Jesus out of each other? I just thought that was cool. Okay, thanks. Let's stand. Stand and let's, I'd like to ask the ministry team to come forward. You can just line up in the front here. Because maybe there's a way that um, the Lord would have you respond this morning to the idea that Jesus is at the center of our worship. Maybe, as Michelle even was speaking before, you realize, I don't know Jesus. How can I put him at the center if I don't know him? This is an invitation this morning to know God personally through his son, Jesus, and you can meet him today. Or maybe this is a call to renew your vision of others and to begin to see them through Jesus and to see Jesus in them. Maybe, there's a, maybe it's a call to reconciliation this morning. You and God, you and yourself, if you're dealing with some internal struggle, or you with others in the body here or elsewhere. So I'm just going to pray and invite anyone who wants to have someone pray with them to come on forward before we dismiss today. Let's pray. Father, we declare by faith that you are sovereign over all things. And Jesus, you are sufficient for all things. The struggle we may have in our mind, in our heart, the sin that that keeps us from you, the fear that keeps us from others, the anger, the bitterness, whatever it might be, that prevents reconciliation. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would break those things here this morning. And give us courage to invite you in. Holy Spirit, come among us and do your work. We want to hear your voice and we want to follow your Holy Spirit and we want to make you Lord in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like someone to pray for you or you just need some time to be with God, as Lynn plays up here, come on forward. You can ask someone to pray for you or just kneel at the front or sit in the front row. Come and be blessed. Go into all the world and see Jesus. Amen.